Y'all better pucker up for this one, because today we're having a chat about chap, but you won't hear about it from my lips. From whose, you may ask? Well, you'll just have to tune in to find out on this episode of Authentic Avenue. Evolution of Smooth. Also known as EOS, this Gen Z juggernaut has taken great care to disrupt personal care with its lip and body products. There's a real product junkie at the helm as well. Today, you'll meet So Young Kang, their chief marketing officer. And I say juggernaut because she's led her team not only to be where Gen Z is, namely TikTok, but also to align with causes that fit with the overarching brand mission, as well as to do better to be a brand for all people. I can guarantee it takes a whole lot more than lip service. Today, we talk about how to shave better, why egg on your face isn't always a bad thing, and what EOS is doing to pull up for change within its racial representation among its ranks. So pucker up and enjoy as I get real with Evolution of Smooth and So Young Kang. I am so excited to talk to you specifically, not necessarily because I, I, I'm an addict of, of lip balm, but something about your brand stuck out to me a long time ago. In fact, it's what you all were doing on TikTok, which of course has uh, been a great platform for a lot of people. Also brought up a lot of questions about what's going to happen there. So I want to talk about that a little bit, of course, especially as it relates to getting to the center of culture and being in the hearts and minds of Gen Z, because I know it's been particularly impactful for you. But I will start instead by just to ask what brought you to Evolution of Smooth? You spent years prior to this on the business side, learning about that, and then in retail, including one of the only retail stores I actually go in to, Bath and Body Works. And I'm curious, why come to now the CPG or the product side following years on retail? So I, um, I actually have had my eye on this brand for quite some time. Um, you know, being at Bath and Body Works for about a decade, um, I, I was there, um, an executive there in marketing and product innovation when EOS launched and kind of like took the world by storm. And I was always just fascinated by EOS as a brand. Like this is, this is a lip balm. How is this, how are people so obsessed um, and, and I think that, um, some of the things that I really admired about it was just this, the, um, the, the notion of disrupting a category that you wouldn't really think to disrupt. Now, you know, fast forward today, I feel like every sort of conventional and functional category that you can find, um, in the, you know, in the drugstore or in the mass aisle is being disrupted by many entrepreneurial brands, but this is 10 years ago. And this brand just kind of came out of nowhere to do something that was absolutely just completely different than what everybody else in the category was doing. And so I was just really fascinated by that. And then, you know, once they started to um, really explode within the younger, um, the younger kind of demographic with the marketing approach through, you know, the really, really early days of influencer marketing, through building up this robust social media presence, through um, product placements in music videos, I was kind of obsessed with following the brand. Um, so, you know, I, I, I spent a, an amazing decade at Bath & Body Works learning all of the, the fundamentals within a best-in-class retailer, within, um, you know, personal care and beauty. And I was just looking to do something that was a little bit more entrepreneurial. Um, and I was really uh, just completely um, so excited when this opportunity um, to join as the first ever global CMO of EOS kind of fell into my lap. 
So to me, it was sort of a no-brainer because it was really all about taking the things that I had learned from a much larger organization and really trying to figure out how we take EOS from the first phase of growth into the next phase of um, growth. Yeah, I have... uh... That makes complete sense, and I, I guess, have been have been grateful not only for for your prior leadership of Bath and Body Works, but now to have be at the forefront of this brand that has done so much in getting in touch with young people in a way that, like as you suggested at the very beginning, was was a little foreign to me because if I'm and granted I'm not 16, 18 or anymore anymore, but like. <laughs> If I'm thinking about- Neither like, am I. <laughs> okay. All right. But the brands that I'm super passionate about, I'm thinking like, what is a cool, interesting brand? Like EOS, is that the first thing that comes to mind? Like I wouldn't know. And the fact that it is clearly, and for reasons we'll illustrate later in this podcast, become so interesting to that cohort is uh, part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you, but I guess probably also indicative of the ways in which you lead brands. Now you have been in leadership in retail. You have certainly learned all about the business side through multiple different angles. Now that you are running the show at EOS, what what sort of drives the way in which you build up your team? And the reason I ask this is because I, I like to get into the minds of the person just as much as I like to get into the mind of the brand. And mm-hmm. my guess is that over time and through these, even the last 10 years through which influencer marketing has has blossomed and started to, to evolve, God, even like personalization is something that 10 years ago was at the very beginnings. You, I'm guessing, have put some values in place which have consistently made for some excellent stories and some excellent growth. And so I'm curious to sort of get those out of you as a foundation because my guess is it will help illustrate why EOS does what it does. It's a long way of asking, like, what, what, what is sort of like your guiding principles as a, as a marketer and a leader? You know, I'm, I'm going to start on the on the leader side because, to be totally honest, I haven't been a, I have not been a marketer my whole life. I, I spent the first, um, you know, as you sort of alluded to, I spent the first um, decade of my career actually as a strategist and in management consulting, and so um, I I found myself on this incredible path on marketing, um, kind of unexpectedly. I you know I, I started off on a, in a strategy role at L Brands, which is the parent company to um, Bath and Body Works. And then ended up in an operating role and then ultimately um, leading the um, brand development for Bath & Body Works for all of personal care. But I I didn't have a traditional path. And I I think that some of that influences how I like to shape the the talent um, within our team um, even to this day, which is that I I don't believe um, that you have to have um, all of the experts um, on your team. I think you have to have the right kind of attitude and willingness to embrace new things. And I think in a, in a category like ours, which is, you know, it, our, our category is a rapidly moving innovation driven category. And our function of marketing is for our type of marketer, you know, pr- predominantly digital and social first is also a rapidly moving and innovation-centric function. And so for me to bring on people who have um, the ability to spot new ideas, a risk appetite to test and learn, smart enough to know how you measure those things and kind of calibrate how much you want to invest in them before you kind of go whole whole hog into it, um, but are just sort of unafraid and are 
fast moving, fast thinking, and agile, that to me is so much more critical than coming in with a decade worth of experience, having really honed a specific, you know, subsegment of the marketing function. Um, and so I, I think that's really shaped for for me how we've built out our team because I I love. I love bringing in people who haven't exactly done this thing before. And, and a lot of that is just, I haven't exactly done this thing before. But so much of the passion and the enthusiasm and the energy that I bring to, to what I do every day is the fact that I'm always learning. And I love bringing people into the team who have a, this just tremendous appetite for learning. Um, so that's where that's how I think about um, leadership. Um, when I when I think next then specifically about marketing and the skill sets, I, I think I touched on a few different themes there, but I do think that innovation is critical and innovation-minded thinking is really critical. I think that um, because we can't be irresponsible with what we're doing with our brand and with our resources, we also have to take a balanced approach between test and learn um, versus, you know, sort of tried and true. But there should always be a certain amount of test and learn that is going on at any given time with what we're doing within marketing. And that leads us to trying new things and trying new platforms. Um, And that's really also not only important for us, um, our, our category and our function, but the fact that we are um, at our core a brand that appeals to younger consumers. Um, that's also very inherent in being able to identify with that um, with that target audience as well. Exactly to move to move quickly and to innovate. And what I really appreciate from you saying that, uh, from from you describing all that, was it's it's an advantage, isn't it, to come into a function not necessarily having done the thing. Before I, f- I feel like I've heard other people say that. I feel like Gary Vee says that from time to time. It's like you are actually at a, at a vast advantage when you come into either a new industry or a new way of doing business, not knowing how it's tra- traditionally done because it's like a blank slate. And of course, you have many, many years in being in strategy and in retail. So, you know, kind of like generally, but I love that specific facet. That's admirable. And I think so it tailors well into this next point because I wanted to learn sort of how you bring in teams and and what that means for innovation as a mindset. Now I want to talk about it from a product perspective because this is within traditionally the the CPG category, right? And Mm -hmm. traditionally, again, when building relationships with consumers, when I walk down the, the aisle in the CVS, right, the majority of the time, I'm looking at that product. I see it on the shelf. I pass it by. Maybe I buy it. Maybe I don't. That CPG brand really doesn't know anything about me except the fact that I'm another number that that creates the foot traffic in that CVS that day. And over time, of course, it's become way more important with the rise of DTC and e-commerce for brands to get a lot more information on their consumers. But from a product perspective and connecting them directly with people, my guess is that's also something that you focus on. And I want to learn more about how you do it, how you approach innovating within the product, um, hopefully with all those people that you bring in that, that have that mindset already. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm a product junkie. To be honest, I couldn't do what I do um, if, if I weren't a product junkie. And I think that the fact that I spent 10 years at, um, at a place like Bath & Body Works where, you know, sort of within my portfolio by the time I, you know, reached like sort of the, the most senior level, I was launching about 1,500 new SKUs every year within my team. So, you know, it, it, it kind of takes a a different level of appetite for newness, innovation, um, you know, sort of fashion driven storytelling, um, to be able to come up with that many, um, new product launches every year. Yeah. My goodness. What scale? (laughs) 
Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's a, di- you know, it's obviously slightly different when you work um, within a smaller brand like EOS versus, um, versus, you know, where I came from. But I think that the muscle that you build is, is no different because you're always looking to tell really inspiring stories and the conventional wisdom, the, the, psych- the psychology of the, um, you know, of, of shopper behavior is that, you, most shoppers are sort of on autopilot when they're walking through the stores, especially because, you know, a lot of the places where our, pro- our products particularly are sold are, um, are, you know, kind of replenishment driven. So you'll find our products, for example, in what we call like the OTC aisle next to like cough syrup. Sometimes you'll find that's where you'll find um, lip balms because people get chapped lips in the wintertime, like right when they get colds and flus. So, um, so you're talking about a behavior where, um, you know, if somebody's walking down the aisle, they've got the list in their mind, they're just sort of grabbing, if they're grabbing a lip balm, they're probably going after the brand that they typically go after the product that they typically go after. So you have very, very little time to catch somebody's attention and to knock them just enough off kilter to kind of stop and take a look at your product, let alone put down the product that they were going to pick up and then take your product and put it into their basket. And so, um, you know, that obviously the, the world of, of the brand building and marketing that you're doing outside of, you know, the, the store environment is, is critical, obviously, so that the, there's an immediate association and a recognition of what your brand stands for. But the reality is that like that shopper behavior when they're walking down that aisle, that is pretty hard to overcome no matter how good your marketing is. So your product has to work just as hard. Product is the marketing that's happening right before all the magic happens when somebody actually buys and it decides to actually shell out money to engage with your brand. Um, so the product is the most important marketing um, tool that you have. It also is, frankly, the longest lasting interaction that any consumer can have with your brand, especially in our category. So long after the marketing fades, the ads fade, they've still got your product. They're using it on an ongoing basis, um, in our case, on multiple times a day. And so our product really has to be able to deliver on our promise. Um, and so, you know, in the early days for, for EOS, the, the, the promise was we were going to disrupt and delight you in a way that other traditional products and brands within our category were not doing. Um, and that was, that was kind of mind blowing for, um, for a disruptor brand 10 years ago. But over time, as you reach maturity as a brand, you have to stand for something more. And, and what that means is, you know, we've had to, over the course of, you know, the last two years when we've been sort of revamping our innovation pipeline, revamping our strategy and our approach to product development overall as a team, we've thought a lot about how do we take the magic of what happened before? It's not about just replicating it. It's taking sort of the nugget of the magic of what we did, which is, we will disrupt your routine and in a positive way and delight you in a way that you hadn't have not expected before from this category. Um, so what that means to me is, you know, hey, if if you're used to um, drying shave creams that I don't even know why, you know, why a, a woman would use the shave cream. Like if you're used to things that are drying in a conventional can that feels and looks a certain way. What more can we do to delight a consumer? Well, we can add an amazing sensory experience through the fragrance. We can also add benefits that you typically don't see in a shave cream, like um, the fact that your your skin will be moisturized for 24 hours, clinically proven, after you've actually come out of the shower. So these are things that we're always thinking about and brainstorming as, as, as an innovation team and working towards that we can make sure that our product is always delivering on the promise of the brand, which is to make your everyday experiences more awesome. It is clear to, to hear the product junkie come out here. And my God, what what an in, in incredible scale that, that and what you're even thinking about this. I mean, I I guess I'm not as much of a product junkie as you, but I can't even think <laughs> about what 
all that this entails, and you're thinking about this process, I mean, what, maybe you systematize it, but like, I mean, in that one case, 1,500 times over, I mean, that is wild. And it just goes to show how much consideration is put into this process for those few seconds that somebody is walking down that aisle of the store, in the case that it's in a retail format. Um, And that, I'm sure, has had good returns in combination with what you have done digitally for the most socially loud cohorts out there. I want to talk about Gen Z for just a second. This is something uh, where you have been and EOS has been incredibly successful. I I can't go through the interview without asking about TikTok a little bit (laughs) because it's something that you guys, and it's it's well documented and listeners, if you look up Evolution of Smooth TikTok, it, it, it will not take long for you to find the fact that this brand was one of the first to to do it big on that platform. I mean, I think we were talking about it. I think that something got launched at the end of 2019, multiple mm-hmm. billions of views. So, so of course, that's been a big moment for, for the brand. And we'll see what happens with the platform, of course. But I guess maybe my question is based around, like, what are the things that you're doing broadly to engage Gen Z? Maybe platform or technology agnostic because you're doing a great job. Oh, yeah. I mean, thank you. I mean, the, the team works really hard to make, st- make sure that we're staying relevant to um, to the audience that, that you know, really sort of like makes up the, the, the heart and soul um, of our fan base. And I think that um, more broadly, I mean, I, I know we, I, 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 we talk a lot about TikTok in, in general, especially today. Um, but I think more broadly, I think that the bigger picture is that we are um, very, very invested in general in social media um, more broadly. And I, and I think that that's a really important thing to, to think about as a, as a younger brand. And as a brand, frankly, that um, wants to hear a lot and, wants, and, and is looking to, to understand um, and have that two-way dialogue because that to me is what social media is. That's that's the beauty of social media. It's all about having a two-way dialogue with your consumer and with your fan base. Um, you know, we we obviously do have you know certain types of traditional push marketing, um, but there is nothing that can take the place of being able to literally hear in people's own words what they think of you, what they think of your brand, what they think of your product. Um, And it's something that, you know, frankly, I I had like the luxury of when I worked in retail because, you know, when I worked in retail, I was in stores at a minimum for a full day every two weeks to basically talk to consumers. Um, and, And you just couldn't know how people were experiencing experiencing your brand and your product if you if you didn't constantly reach out and kind of like have that like that pulse check it, it keeps you honest honestly as a marketer yeah the people that spend a lot of time in the store tend to know it better than other people so so kudos oh, for yeah. that because it's a big it's a big important piece that people should, people should probably do more of anyway keep going yeah I, I mean i mean to be honest it's it's also sort of like you have to have an appreciation for the fact that these are real people who choose to spend their hard earned money on you and your the work that you and your brand are doing so I, I always have so much tremendous gratitude and respect for consumers who are out there and who are choosing you every day because they could choose somebody else just as easily. Yep. And I think that social media is sort of the the digital equivalent of that. Where you know, sure, I, I, I it'd be weird if I went and, and hung out at one of our at like Target all day long <laughs> trying to talk to people. <laughs> um, but but I can I can you know be on Twitter social listening, which I do every single day. Um, I can read all of the comments across all of our social media posts, which, you know, we're posting multiple times a day on Instagram and, and almost every day on TikTok. And, and so I get a sense of what the dialogue is and what the conversation is about our brand um, on an ongoing basis. And that's, that's what I love about 
being so distorted to and prioritizing social media overall, um, regardless of what specific platform, uh, you know, at the moment that we're we're focused on and, and putting our marketing dollars against. I think that the other piece of um, what we think about with with Gen Z is you can't be a brand that is um, is looking to speak to and appeal to Gen Z without having um, having a purpose and and um, you know the. The authenticity of that purpose and the the believability has to be there um, because the reality is that it, things are much more transparent today than they um, than they ever have been before, and that the this audience and and this demographic can really sniff out um, when you're not being authentic in in what you're talking about and what you're standing for. And so for us, I mean, we've we've always been a brand that really believes in philanthropy. I mean, since before I came here, but I would say that we have not always necessarily. Um, consolidated those efforts in a way where we were integrating them really tightly with our overarching brand story. And I think that um, a lot of the work that my team and I have done over the last two years is to take our efforts and in, in, in the social causes um, and the give back causes that we um, believe really passionately about and start to kind of consolidate them into um, kind of more focused efforts. Um, one of the key areas that I'll talk about is um, you know, the the fact that we really believe strongly in giving back to the communities that help us be the brand that we are today. Um, and one of the key ingredients, for example, that's found in every single one of our products, whether it's a lip product or a body product, is, is Shea. Um, and Shea is a, um, a sustainable and wild harvested ingredient that grows primarily in a certain belt within, um, within Africa. And the vast majority of the harvesters of this, of this sustainable ingredient are actually women. And um, these women actually um, can f- can find the, the kernels. The kernels kind of fall off the tree during harvest time. They can find the kernels, um, process them themselves, and then use them to sell back to um, to these raw material kind of sourcers and earn an independent income. And so, when you hear the stories of women who've been able to just kind of go out with you know within their their communities and be able to find this um, sustainable and wild ingredient and be able to supplement that and use that for things like, you know, sending their children to school or in some cases being able to supplement the household income to be able to have um, enough means to be able to, to, to make ends meet. It's a really unbelievable thing that these women are doing day to day. And we really wanted to be a part of supporting their ability to get a a fair and equal um, income, and to be able to protect this industry so that it's there for generations to come. Um, and so we've partnered with an, uh, an NGO called the Global Shea Alliance, as well as USAID, in order to create our um, our biggest sort of you know social responsibility program, which is called Shea Better. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to us because it's such an inc- a critically important part of our product. So it's tightly integrated into our product story. Um, as well as to, you know, the most, the, the vast majority of our, our fans within our community are women. And then to be able to help these communities, to be able to help individual women earn a meaningful income, to be able to supplement their household for us was such a, um, such a, um, a fit um, from a purpose standpoint to our overarching brand mission. And so, um, you know, we've created programs to be able to, to give back with warehousing, with transportation, with fuel efficient stoves so that they can process the kernels in a in a more environmentally friendly way and in a safer way. So um, it's been an ongoing program. Now we're into our second year and we're continuing to look for new opportunities to help support those communities um, that give so much back to us. Right. That's so cool to learn more about the, the, the purpose side, especially within like the ways in which you are 
impacting folks within the communities where the process just gets started and to know that you are contributing positively all all the way down is great to know and great to learn about here we talk about you know purpose driven what is that it's such a big word such an umbrella topic i could probably do another podcast called authentic purpose and you know i'm sure i'd get hours and hours of content just on that so i i will ask about that again in in one second because i'm i'm sure we could open up probably a whole another hour you know conversation around that um i do i do want to get to this story sharing for just one second because you're able to do a lot whether it's maybe not standing in a target all day but like you know that and that and the social listening you're able to react incredibly quickly to folks and what they have to say my question is is there another side of it where you are able to encourage people to tell their story proactively and get right to them whether that be tied to the product whether it be tied to one of these causes and wonderful NGOs or, or otherwise um, because these stories are there to be told it's great to hear them I'm sure it's another thing it's to say you know please please tell us and we will amplify so yeah. do you lean into that at all yeah, we do actually. I mean, I think that a, as a brand that is, um, you know, heavily distorted to social media, like I said, I, I, I really do consider that medium to be a two-way dialogue. And I think that a lot of it is really all about amplification of not only what you're saying, but really what other people are saying about you um, or saying to you. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I know we, we kind of touched on TikTok, but it's probably the best example of that. I, I think it's one of the, the, the sort of addictive natures of that platform is that anyone can have a voice. Um, I, we, we love Instagram too. It's also an incredibly important social media platform for us, but Instagram is an opt-in platform. It's, you know, you opt in to follow what a brand is saying and, and it is a two-way dialogue, but in a slightly different way on TikTok, it's a discovery platform. And so anyone can have a voice because if you have an important message to be told, it gets amplified because that's just how the platform works which is why we love to be able to follow what people are saying um, on TikTok. But, you know, we've, we've done kind of wacky things. Like we're always listening to what people are saying. And, and we've had people post, you know, funny videos where instead of putting on an EOS lip balm, they're literally rubbing an actual egg on their yeah, lips. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and it, was, it was funny and I laughed. And, and it, you know, you can't take yourself too seriously as a brand that's appealing to Gen Z. And so we laughed about it. And you know what? We, we DM'd that, that user and we said, listen, um, you know, we love your video, but we'd also love you to be able to get some actual EOS. And so we sent her a box of EOS. And then she posted a follow-up video um, to it with, you know, with all of the EOS. And it was like all of the comments in her in that follow-up video were like, yep, EOS passes the vibe check, which yeah, is great. Right. That's uh -huh. exactly what we want to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's sort of a lighthearted example of what the team is doing literally on a day-in and day-out basis through social listening. But then there are other programs where we've, um, sh you know, created a more structured way for us to listen and hear what consumers have to say that are, you know, I think, um, frankly, really have been incredibly meaningful for us. So, you know, I, I mentioned to you um, our Shea Better program. Well, you know, Shea Better is sort of like the, the umbrella um, collection for all of our body care products. And we we launched a, a hand cream um, late last year, actually, called the Shea Better Hand Cream. And, and the um, great innovation, because, you know, we talked, we touched on product innovation as well with Shea Better Hand Cream, is that it actually lasts through hand washing. So you put on the hand cream, it moisturizes your skin. And the biggest complaint that consumers have is that it washes off as soon as they wash their hands. Yep. Well, guess what? Over the past six months, what have we been doing, like, obsessively is washing our hands? And so in the, in the first early stages of um, 
of uh, COVID impacting, um, in particular, New York City, which you know is our is our home as EOS. Um, we we were very keenly aware that we we just as a brand really wanted to be able to do something, and so we um, immediately um, looked at at this hand cream as an opportunity for us to just be able to give back. So we so we donated um, fifty thousand hand creams to local New York City hospitals um, because that's that's what we had you know on hand, and so we we wanted to be able to do something right away. Well, um, immediately the team started asking the question like how can we make this broader? How can we make this bigger and be able to impact more people? Um, and at that time, we had to ask ourselves, because we we actually didn't, we had to manufacture these hand creams in order to be able to get more of them into people's hands, even as a donation program. And we were asking ourselves, like, so we can either manufacture these to sell or we can manufacture them to donate. And we chose as an organization, as a team, you know, because it was it was really hitting home for us to manufacture them to donate. But the way that we wanted to donate is we wanted to hear from our audience. So we actually asked our audience to please nominate local healthcare heroes and healthcare facilities so that we could now spread the, um, you know, spread the, the, the give back and the donations across the country, um, knowing that we were going to start seeing um, COVID impacting the the broader country, not not only the epicenter, which was New York at the time. Right. So that was a way for us to be able to like listen to our community and hear, you know, what they had to say and then be a part of helping to impact them at the local level, which I, I think is a really also, you know, a more structured but really meaningful way for us to be able to to hear what they had to say. Yeah, I think so. The good news about, you know, all of this is that whether it is somebody rubbing an actual egg on their face or whether it is somebody learning about, you know, what what you're doing in the world of donating goods, which especially right now during a public health crisis is uh, is a wonderful gesture to make. It all comes back to, and, and maybe we could focus on Gen Z again for a second, like what I'm sure you have seen, what I've certainly learned is that this is a generation which we'll talk about you whether you like it or not. It's a generation which is vastly, vastly curious and invested in how you are standing socially, not just from a mm-hmm. product perspective. And so that is, I got to imagine, all the better for the center mass of your consumer, at least there. So, it, and now I, w- I want to touch on something a little bit different because, you know, folks are interested in what brands are doing right now socially and you've mentioned a little bit of it already and I'll go back to purpose once more because it's something that you were educating me right before we recorded but I want you to educate our listeners now on this um, with regard to sort of social uh, injustice and inequality and how you have leaned in there with without you know while knowing that there is work to do including within your own business um, I'd just like you to touch on that a little bit because listeners we've talk prior to this recording, it, it just struck me that it wasn't done as so honestly as I think So Young does it. So it, w- would you do us the honor, So Young, of talking a little bit about that? And, um, you know, I'd love to talk about this pull up and how uh, uh, for change and all that good stuff, because you, you know much more about it than I do and talk about it much more eloquently. Well, uh, you know, I I, I, um, I think that it, it it's it actually strikes me that that you say that that um the way I was talking about it was um, more transparent because I do think that increasingly, um, and I, I think this is actually happening. I think increasingly the conversations are becoming more transparent because, number one, because they have to. Because you know what, like there are plenty of ways for um, consumers to find out um, the the real facts. For, you know, no matter no matter what the um, the communication says. But the reality is that, like for us. Um, I would rather have a real and honest conversation about where we're falling short 
um, then try to spin, you know, the some things that aren't, aren't exactly what they are. And I and I think that there's the there's no better time for brands to embrace um, that philosophy and that uh, that that approach um, than now, where um, you know across the country there is um, an outcry against um, racial injustice and. Um, and I think one of the things that that happened um, pretty early on, just as like the protests were starting right um, right at the very beginning of June, was that um, a uh, an Instagram account um, was created called Pull Up for Change, um, and basically posed a challenge out specifically to the beauty industry because the you know the woman who created this um, Instagram account and this challenge is is an entrepreneur within beauty. She specifically called out beauty brands and she said, look. You beauty brands have been appealing to and selling to black communities for years. And um, I want to know if you are going to hashtag pull up or shut up about whether your words are just words or whether you are actually going to live these values. And um, specifically, the pull up or shut up challenge was created so that companies, no matter what the size, because, you know, larger companies actually have to disclose these things um, under equal opportunity laws, but smaller companies, many beauty companies are, are actually relatively small, um, surprisingly, and they don't, they aren't legally required to disclose the makeup of their um, home office. And so, um, you know, this was a challenge out to all of these many beauty companies to, to say, you know, d- does your organization, do your hiring practices, do your promotion practices reflect the words that you're publicly speaking in a press release or, you know, in a, you know, like black square on um, Instagram, or do they not reflect it? And and we we felt really as a team because I, I talked a lot about this to with my team very quickly because we 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 really wanted to be a part of it, even knowing that we were going to fall short. And the reality is that most of the brands that did disclose, because many many beauty brands did disclose, um, were falling short. But that's a that's an important part of the dialogue. How how can you make change happen when you don't? publicly have the conversation that change must happen? And how can you say that change must happen when you're not talking about the reality of today? And so, you know, it took us a few days to get our numbers together because we actually, we, as a smaller company, we actually don't um, require people to disclose, um, you know, self, self-identified, self um, you know, racial um, classifications or categories. And and so it took us just a little while to get everybody to, you know, to ask everybody to participate because we, we wanted to be a part of this. But we we knew that we were, our numbers weren't going to look good. And by the time that the numbers were posted um, and, and posted onto this, um, account, there we were at six percent. Um, you know, black employees within our home office, and and we all kind of looked at each other and we said, you know what, we have to do better than this because our um, you know our our brand is standing for inclusivity and being a place that being a brand that that can is a, a place for all. And if we within our own organization don't look like a place for all, then how can we? legitimately and authentically talk about being a brand for all. And so, you know, from there, we, we've we um, kind of moved on and made certain specific commitments. We have actually haven't really talked about this publicly. It's just something that we're doing sort of internally, which is making commitments around, um, you know, we, we, we distort a huge portion of our marketing efforts in the world of creator and influencer marketing. We're, we're committing specifically um, to working with um, 30% um, or more um, Black creators. We are um, specifically working with all all of our brand partners to um, on to understand and um, work towards mutual um, diversity commitments um, across all of our um, you know agencies and suppliers and partners, and then we've also um, enlisted and and um, uh, added on new uh, you know talent sourcing 
resources so that we can make sure that all of our candidates go forward for open positions um, are, are representative of a diverse slate of candidates that we can get um, our, our numbers to a place that we can really be proud of and that better reflect who we who we are and want to be as a brand. So so I, you know, just going back to like kind of how I started this, I, I, I'm a, I am surprised that um, that uh, that that hasn't been maybe as part as much a public part of the conversation. I think that's changing, and I think that as I talk to my sort of peers within the CMO community, I think more and more of us are are wanting to and willing to have a more transparent dialogue amongst ourselves with our with our consumers, with our audiences about where we've fallen short and where we need to do better. And I think that that's all going to lead to real and meaningful and lasting change. I think so too. And I'm so glad that you took the time to, to speak about this because it has been something in the back of my mind ever since the majority of these inequalities were brought to the forefront again. Of course, they've been there for a long, long time. But this year, um, sometimes I have looked out there and I've been like, do you really like, do you really think this are you really acting in this way? And it's maybe just the overall skepticism that society has and that makes me ask those questions. But I'm, I, I'm glad that you're able to sit there and say, well, actually, you know, no, no, we haven't made the progress that we fully need to make yet. And it's been interesting that this specific inequality was brought up within the beauty industry first. And I thought that was a, a great way for you as a, as a leader within that industry to talk about it too. So so thank you. Um, I think that it will tailor very nicely into, into the round out question that I always ask, which is which is about advice, about well, how the heck do you get here to this point where you're becoming incredibly authentic as a brand, as a leader, as a person, as a marketer, however you define that. My guess is there are so many people who listen to this show who want to have a job like yours. And that that's not, that's not a lie. I mean, people write me and they say this is helping them learn. And from those, from, I'm doing my own social listening, I guess, and I'm hearing hmm. that and it's, it's, Leading me to always ask this question, which is that, you know, maybe it's based on a story or a particular piece of advice that you got or something that happened that, uh, that shaped you. But I'm curious just for folks as a takeaway on this show, what's some of your advice as to how to get to that point of being more authentic? Again, however you define that, that a word. Mm. Uh, oh my goodness. That's such a, um, it's oh, another it's such hour, a you know. good question. It's such a hard question. Um, and I feel like I, I'm going to, I'm going to say something now, which is like, I feel almost like in telling how I try to be more authentic, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to sound inauthentic. No, and, I understand that. I understand that entirely. Um, you know, it's that question of like, you know, it, it's, it's surely reflective, but like in people talking about it, like, are they actually operationalizing what they think in talking yeah. about it? Do they think they're boasting about it? Please boast away if that's necessary. But I, I but, um, but Understanding all that, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I I do think that as a as marketers, we are inherently storytellers, right? Because that's that's essentially what we're what we're always doing. And so, e- even even the authentic is somehow, I think, part of being woven into a, an entire story. And I, I look back, I I reflect a lot. I, I think a lot about sort of. Um, you know, where I've come from and what's, what's made me the person that I am today. And I I think that all of like the cumulative experiences that I've had have, have made me the marketer that I am today. And, And that's my story. I think that everybody else has their own sort of unique story and the path that they take. For me, a huge part of what has created, um, just me as a, as a person and as a marketer is, frankly, the fact that I, I grew up as an immigrant. Um, I grew up in a pretty, um, 
with limited means, um, you know, I, I, I had, you know, probably I was like lower income as a child. And then we, we kind of ended up in sort of a, you know, middle-class sort of upbringing by the time that I was in high school. But I think that my immigrant upbringing and that sort of like scrappiness, um, the, the sort of, um, like stick to that, that you have to have when you're, um, just sort of trying to, um, figure out your path in this world um, and in a place that doesn't look like you and where where you feel a little bit sort of on the outskirts all the time. It, it's part of what had, has made me the marketer that I am today because I'll tell you that when you are always slightly on the outside, you're always looking on the inside. You're always trying to find patterns and understand what is it that makes the sort of the the mainstream function the way that it does. And I think that that's a huge part of what's defined me as a person and a huge part of now, now what I harness as my superpower as a marketer, which is to take a look at the whole and try to find the patterns within the whole. And then the other piece that I that I do believe is, is part of my immigrant experience that has allowed me to be maybe a little bit more of a risk taker, um, you know, as we talk about innovation and, and just trying things and test and learn, is the fact that as an immigrant child, you're often relied on quite a lot to take an outsized role within your family. And so for me, that meant things like, you know, helping my my parents who didn't speak English very well to navigate a lot of very complex and, and sort of like grown-up situations with insurance companies and billing and banks and and taxes, um, yeah. you know, even, even as a young person. And I think that that sort of, um, you know, that, that discipline of just sort of, you, even if you've got butterflies in your stomach, you just kind of have to like hold your breath and jump in, um, is something that has been a part of my personality since, um, since very early days. And I think that those, those two things, the, the fact that I, I, you know, love to observe people and I love to observe human behavior and I love to find patterns in, in that, as well as, um, I would say a pretty healthy appetite for risk and scary situations has really made me the person that I am today, as well as the marketer that I am today. And everybody's got a different journey because I think authenticity, as you can see from, you know, podcasts that you've done with so many different leaders, it, it means different things to different people and it manifests itself in different ways with different people. And it's really about finding your own personal superpower and crafting your own personal story and journey out of that superpower. And for me, um, you know, those are that those are mine. Right. Wow. What? Oh, and 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 you know what you've been able to do with this story is you you, you know craft your own definition of that word and, and bring it to the forefront for for all these organizations you've been a part of, but especially for for EOS. And um, you know, I'm I'm so glad to have you now as this as this uh, as part of this digest of perspectives and as one that is a particular standout just because of the, the transparency on the social issues, but also a brand that is so closely in tune with Gen Z. I don't get a lot of people think it's important, but not too many people are executing on it particularly amazingly well. And you are, and you've taught me, you've taught me all about that. Listeners, I, um, I hope that you, you look to EOS and to Soyoung as an example of how to do this right as a way of reacting and being proactive and being extremely honest and upfront about these social issues. And yeah, we'll, we'll probably hear more brands come out and be like, oh yeah, well, I'm transparent too. Here's, here's my stats. And, you know, but I think that it takes people to be leaders there and to do it first. And I think you're one of the people doing it first. So that is uh, incredibly important. And so for telling me more about that, for telling me more about the EO story and your story, so young, I, it was such a pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me on. It was absolutely wonderful. 
Admittedly, I don't moisturize nearly as much as I should, but perhaps this conversation will inspire you to get into it with this brand. And I'll also leave links to EOS's Shea Better initiative and pull up for change in the show notes. Thanks so young and thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And also check out Twitter at AuthenticAv, Instagram at AuthenticAvMedia. And you can also write me directly, Adam at AuthenticAvenueMedia.com. Say hello, recommend a guest, or just tell me what you think of the show so far. This has been your host, Adam Connor, saying until I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue.